Hi, and welcome back to another episode of the Scholars and Storytellers podcast, a podcast from the Center for Scholars and Storytellers at UCLA. This episode is all about the importance of allies in the entertainment industry. We have a fantastic lineup of guests who spoke about this topic during the Scholars and Storytellers Summit in October 2021. We will share some of the highlights from their talk, but first, let me introduce our guests. Dr. Maitha al Hassan is a social justice artist, journalist, and historian, as well as the writer for the Emmy Award-winning Hulu series Rami, and the moderator of this conversation. Allison Hoffman is the president of Domestic Networks at Stars and the former key architect of award-winning marketing campaigns for Mad Men, Breaking Bad, and The Walking Dead. Rose Catherine Pinckney is the SVP of scripted programming at BET, overseeing critically acclaimed shows 20s, The First Wives Club, and American Soul. Glenn Mazzara is a television writer, creator, and showrunner known for The Walking Dead, The Shield, and Damien, and the co-chair of the WGA's Inclusion and Equity Group. Sasha Palladino is an Emmy-nominated writer and producer known for the hit Disney series Miles from Tomorrowland and Mira Royal Detective. Now let's get into the conversation. Dr. Al Hassan is going to start us off. Let's start with how would you define what an ally is and what being an ally in the industry looks like. So we can start going down this way, Glenn. Well, I have a particular view of, of allyship and I've, I've been working within the guild and, 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 and just within the industry. I feel that my role as a white, middle-aged, straight, able-bodied male is to use my position, my privilege, my power, and I will say it's a power because when I started talking about it, people would listen to me. And, mm -hmm. and if someone from one of the underrepresented groups spoke up, you would know that they would say, oh, that person has an ax to grind. They just need to pull themselves up by the bootstrap or whatever. So what I do, what I try to do is to amplify other people's voices, to give them the stage. So, for example, one time with the Writers Guild, we were going in to talk to uh, a big network about programs we had or whatever. And, um, you know, this woman came with me, a fellow writer, and she really wanted to talk about how she had been, you know, there was misogyny in a particular writer's room. She spoke up about it, and, and or, or maybe she didn't even speak up about it. But then since that, you know, they, she's been blackballed by, from every, every show on that network because they said she didn't get it. She didn't get along with the guys. She can't play well with the guys, whatever. And she really needed to voice this, you know? And so at first, my initial reaction, like, wow, there's something going on. And I realized she needs to process the pain. They need to hear that pain. Mm. I need to get out of the way. You know, and so I've been doing that or trying to do that where I feel that I can open the door and other people have to come in. Now, what they have to say is a process and it might be uncomfortable for the people listening, but I constantly feel like, you know, like even this, I'm uncomfortable. Why am I going first? Well, I just happen to sit there, but I was <laughs> actually trying to sit at the end, you know, like I was, I was trying not to be on stage, believe it or not. Seriously, I, I was I, thinking I about that. I wanted you to feel the discomfort that, that underrepresented okay. people feel. I'm, 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 I'm used to it. And, and, no, 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 I'm used to it but because these conversations are uncomfortable, you know, yeah. you know, and that's okay. And so, so I think. So it's, it's less about me 
there's been a lot of good work about employment opportunity and all of that and moving numbers and, and, and you know, that's been important. But for me, there's an emotional process that has to happen mm. for us to get somewhere. And so I think I can use my privilege to sort of amplify the voices and say, this is a conversation worth, happening, worth having. Now listen to them. So that being said, listen to them. Ali? Yeah. Um, a lot of people don't know, but STARS is a network really um, exclusively focused to programming um, underrepresented audiences and women. So mm. that's really what our focus is, and that is where all our successes come from. We've been really purposeful about it for the last six or seven years. Um, and I think allyship, for me, is um, similar to what was mentioned, but I think evangelism, I see it as how in the development processes, uh, process are we bringing in new voices, voices that haven't had their stories told, um, but voices that we feel will help communities feel seen, who have not feel, felt seen before on television. Um, and then as they usher through the process of developing a project, producing a project, and then you bring a project to life, you market it, you bring it out into the world, how are you the voice of that creator, of that creator or of that author? Um, and so you know that can look like a number of different things, but um, supporting their choices. Um, if they are new to the process, how are you surrounding that person with the support that they need and the experience they need in different areas to make sure that they are a success? Um, because with success, it will beget more success. Um, and it really is sort of that cyclical thing. And then you know, all the way into, like I said, the promotional process and things like that, um, putting that voice at the forefront of everything you do you know, and just to, by way of example, we have a show called P Valley, which is a huge success. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And that came out like just so strong for us. And I think the reason is Katori Hall is behind that show. She is a force. And we all said, we want Katori's voice here. We want her represented. What does she want? What's important to her? What was important to her? This is not exploitative. Even if, if you don't know the show, it is based on. Um, you know, kind of uh, strippers in the South and Mississippi Delta. Um, I don't want this to be exploitative. I want this to be representative of the stories of people who don't usually get their stories told on, on television, marginalized people who don't get their stories told. Their stories deserve to be told. And so, you know, even in that, that promotion process, really making sure that that came through and we even actually went so far as to put Katori in the marketing campaign mm. because we wanted people to see her. Another thing from your study, which showed that people actually care who's in charge of these shows. They want to see who's mm. the showrunner, who is who is actually at the helm. Um, that will actually create um, viewership. So, or you know, drive viewership. So anyway, that you know, evangelism. I think it's sort of you are the creative visionary. What do we need to do to help you be successful? How are we supporting you and supporting your voice all the way through in the purest possible way? Yeah, that's another thing we can also get into, which is we have a more knowledgeable marketplace right now. And so the storytelling of the entire packaging of a show is what people want to learn about. People know. I mean, people know this industry much better than they did. Uh, you know, they, they're like, okay, who's in charge? Who's producing? <laughs> right. You know, it's beyond even just the cast and, and see who they see in front of the camera. So. Yeah, it's an IMDb education. That <laughs> Um, Rose, what, what are your thoughts about what that looks like? You've been in the business, I'm sure, for a long time. <laughs> so, actually, it's Rose Catherine. Oh, sorry, Rose Catherine. It's a mouthful, I know. Um, so, first off, I can say that I'm sitting here with allies. Like, I know it, that it, it is an action. To me, an ally is a friend 
who acts. Mm. I have lots of friends. I love them. They love me, but they don't always act when I need them to act. And a lot of times it's not about asking them to act. They know they need to act. Yeah. It may be that they ask you how they can help. So again, love my friends, love my allies even better. Mm. Um, and I uh, have worked at BET for the last six years, but before that I worked at a variety of um, studios and networks in the industry. So um, in a lot of my career, I have jumped back and forth, and I will just use this language between black companies and white companies. Mm. Um, I often make the joke that I'll work for a while with a black company and I say, oh my God, I need some white people. And then, <laughs> and then I'll go and work for a white company or mainstream company for, all, for a while and I'll say, oh my God, I need my people, I need some black people. <laughs> so I have jumped back and forth and have had need for allies um, at both places in yeah. many ways. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't stop because I'm at a black company. Sometimes you need one even more there. Um, I, I put a huge really a huge exclamation point on the action part of it. Um, I think the last few years really showed us that people can say they're supportive. Um, and listen, I, I have some guilt in my own way for things that I should have done that I didn't do. But sitting at home is not acting. Um, and having a nice conversation with a friend is not acting. So it's all about action. And when I was hearing these guys, first off, anybody who talks about their right privilege is probably an ally because they're even recognizing yeah. that there is such a thing. And it's not their fault, but I love that uh, my friend often says, it's, and it's kind of funny, oh my gosh, the white privileged people are using their entitlement to help us. <laughs> and we're like, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Glenn. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, Allie. Um, so it is, um, it, even just, you were just talking about, um, people knowing who writes shows or who are yeah. part of shows. So I worked for a black company that was the only game in town for a really long time. Um, and has often happened in the history of the entertainment business. Um, there are moments when, when networks and people decide that people of color are good business. Right. Um, I want to believe that what's happening now is not just about good business. I want to believe that it's about good people. Mm. But in the past, this has happened where all of a sudden you look up and people are buying lots of black shows or making black movies. And it, you know, it happens for a while and then it sort of peters off. Hopefully, again, this is a time where, where it's going to be here to stay. But um, so my company finds itself at a place where we are competing with companies that have endless funds um, for the same writers and producers of uh, color yeah. that everyone else is. And I can talk a lot of people into a lot of things <laughs> until there are extra zeros <laughs> on the end of an offer. Mm. Um, and so one of the places that I'm finding allies now is people who are not of color who will come to work for our company um, and who come knowing that they may not be able to express the story as authentically as we would like them to, but who are open to making sure that their staffs and the cast and the crew and the, and the production crew, that people are people who really represent the, the vision and the voice um, are employed and employed in places where their voice can be heard. So it's not just PAs, and it's not just the assistant, and it's not just the lower level folks. It's the people above. And allies are the people that actually get that done. Um, and so I often have to explain to people why we do have a, a writer that is not of color working on some of our most known shows, and it's because they came to work, they picked up a pen or a camera, 
they were willing to sort of get with our vision, and they're open to hearing that, that hearing and knowing that they don't know as much as some other people know about the situation. So a lot of it to me is being open and being aware as well. Hi, listeners. We hope that you are enjoying this episode of the Scholars and Storytellers podcast. The Center for Scholars and Storytellers is an organization dedicated to bridging the gap between scholars and storytellers to promote positive youth development. Are you interested in learning more about the other projects we are working on? Check out our website at scholarsandstorytellers.com and find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Scholars and Storytellers. Now, back to the conversation. Um, I love that definition, friends who act. I'm thinking about delving a little deeper into your stories because I want to get to the point where you felt the discomfort and said, wait, I am supposed to act. I am not supposed to gaslight the discomfort, right? Um, so, you know, in, in English, we sometimes use the word witness. In Arabic, the term for witness also means testify. It's a, it's a conjoined word. So I'm curious when you witnessed something that maybe f- made you realize, oh, I need to be that friend that acts, but that, that part where the testifying is important as well. So you know, when you were talking about going to the room with the execs, how did you know that you should do that work? And Sasha, how did you know that you needed to make sure that there, there is a certain relationship with the voice actors or or other people of color that you're writing this work for, for you? I was the um, executive producer on The Shield, um, you know, 20 years ago, and I was the number two to Sean Ryan. And two things happened, is we had a writing team, okay, uh, two women who were on our staff, and before every year, we would always meet with the writers and give them corrections or things to improve on for the new season. And we said, with these two women, we said, you guys really need to speak up in the room. We're not hearing your voice in the room. A couple days later, I still didn't hear their voices Mm -hmm. in the room. And so I went to them privately, and I said, what's going on? We gave you the correction. You're not taking the correction. And they said, watch what happens when we try to speak up. Mm -hmm. So I sat down at the table. I ran the room. And every time they spoke up, someone said, interrupted them or said, honey, or stole their pitch. And I realized that my male ear was tuned to the male interrupter. Mm. So it was exhausting. I was exhausting. They must have been exhausted. So I implemented a no interruption rule. If someone is pr- presenting prepared information, because, because for me, Yes, there was a gender issue, but also I wasn't getting what we were paying these women to do. They weren't allowed to do their job. So then the the show was set in East LA and and we had a bunch of white folks writing this. So I would call um, agents and executives and say, can you send more writers of color? And they literally said, we don't have any. We're gonna, you're covering your ass. We're going to send you some more white guys, and you're going to like it. Some, some <laughs> agent actually told me that. So I was th- I've thought about this. So my, I'm a white guy. I'm used to getting what I want. Now I was ticked off. <laughs> so I'm going to change that system because I don't want to live in a, a sense of frustration. So I started. So it's all about me. 
you gave us a lot. Thank you for that. Um, <laughs> Sasha, you've talked about it, it's your responsibility. So at what point did you realize that? Um, yeah, there was actually a specific moment. It also happened in the recording booth, like the, the earlier story I told. Um, so as I mentioned, it was really important for us from, from the beginning, for the entire team, you know, um, to have as many South Asian voices as possible in the process of writing, art, music, um, every aspect. Um, and we talked a lot. We watched this documentary called The Problem with Apu, which I miss some of you mentioned. Yes. Oh, um, yeah. With um, that Hari Kondabar. Um, and he ended up doing a voice on our show, which was really exciting. Um, but um, so that's all about the Simpsons character and, and how damaging that stereotype has been. Um, and so that led to a lot of conversations about accents and, and, and making sure we didn't want to, you know, uh, Indian accents have such a stereotypical connotation, part, partly because of The Simpsons, um, and we really wanted to avoid that. So we, we sort of, as a group, including a cultural consultant we work with, made this decision, okay, we're not going to have any Indian accents, it's all going to be, you know, this is for an American audience, um, we're just going to have, you know, it's all South Asian cast, but we're not going to have accents. But we do have some Hindi words that are spoken, and we had made the decision internally and with our consultants that we're going to, um, these Hindi words, um, are going to be spoken without an accent as well, just to, just to keep it all equal and normalized. Um, and then we were recording with one of our actors the first time, a different actor, uh, I can probably say his name, Utkarsh Ambukar, um, who actually was on The Simpsons. Um, uh, and he, so we were we were recording and we said, okay, this is this is what we've decided, we're, we're, we're not doing accents at all, no, no accents. And so we got to a Hindi word that he was supposed to say, and he said, well, wait, but shouldn't I pronounce this like with an accent correctly? Like, and I was like, well, we've really talked about it, and that's not right. And, and what we're going to, the approach we're going to take, and I felt like we're like, I'm this white guy telling him what to do. This is like really awkward, really uncomfortable. Um, and he's like, why? He's like, I think that's the wrong thing to do. And um, and he brought up Coco, which was a great reference. So right. they, you know, that's in English, but when they speak Spanish words, they pronounce them correctly. Um, and it basically, him bringing this up, we, we, this led to this very uncomfortable, like, 20-minute conversation when we were supposed to be recording, um, and, and he was right. Like, we, we went back, we talked about it, and we were like, of course, like, how, what were we thinking? Like, they have to pronounce the words correctly, even if they're not speaking with an accent throughout. Um, and so I was so grateful to that, for him, to him speaking up, um, and it taught me a few things. Um, one was, like, to when these uncomfortable conversations happen, like the only way to do it is to charge headlong into them, no matter how comfortable you can be. Otherwise, you're just, you're not dealing with the issues. Um, so that sort of affected how I ran the rest of the show. Like if something made me uncomfortable, instead of backing away from it, I went headlong into it, even if it wasn't pleasant, um, because usually it was productive. Sometimes it was really hard. Um, and then, you know, Glenn and I, when we were all talking originally uh, before this panel, like talking about just listening to the people, the talent, um, and you know, making them collaborators in some ways, um, because they're, you know, it's their culture, and and uh, in this case, and um, and we wanted to make sure his voice was heard. Like I, I had to practice what I preach. Like if we're raising these voices, like um, I really had to accept what he was saying and, and deal with it in a serious way. And I'm so grateful that he did speak up. Um, so it's also about the other lesson was creating an environment where it's okay to speak up. Yeah, yeah, uh, and we also spoke in this pre-panel conversation that I'm on the show that I'm at, that I, I write for, although I'm an Arab Muslim woman, our actress, Mae Kalamawi, who has, um, I believe, Palestinian-Egyptian background, we sourced the episode I wrote for in season two because she was losing her hair. So there's a storyline about her losing her hair and how can we tell a larger story about her character using that stress point. So 
the, the talent love to be included in the storytelling because they get they're the face of it and they're so disconnected from the writer's room so it's even how do we be an ally to the folks who have to speak for the thing constantly? And, and when uh, just we tried to go a step further with that, um, we actually brought some of the actors, and we did have a lot of South Asian writers on the staff, but um, the actors, when we, they'd be so excited about doing scenes that related to their culture that they hadn't seen before, um, so we actually did have a, a, a writing brainstorm where we brought in a bunch of actors and asked them to just help us brainstorm That's ideas, fun. and it led to some really useful stuff. Great, yeah. Um, so, Ali. I think I, I actually would sort of bungee off some of the things that Sasha's talking about, which is, you know, when you're sort of running a business or you're running a discipline, it's sort of like, you know, you, you get to a place and you're, you're sort of full speed ahead. Um, but many times throughout my career and my different jobs, pulling in different points of view has really either, you know, helped the creative process or avoided some real problems, honestly. And it is uncomfortable because you've fallen in love with something and you think it's good. And then somebody goes, you know, or you ask and they say, hey. And um, this sort of like, we, we were like kind of coding it to, um, I don't like it. And hearing different people just go, I don't like it. It was just that prompt to be like, okay, there's something wrong. <laughs> what, what is it? You know, and it, it could be on a show. It could be, like I said, it could be sort of any of the number of kind of marketing assets that get produced. but. Um, soliciting and galvanizing a group of people, you know, sometimes like groupthink, I think, can diffuse the creative process, but I think there are times like this where it really helps sort of hone your thinking and hone, you know, we're not just creating this for us, we want this to land in a particular way, so we need a diversity of point of view to know how that's going to land, and we need to at least understand that before we move forward. Um, and I think, you know, the other, the other, that happens a lot, and that was sort of a, it was uncomfortable because you know you're in a place and you love to kind of close and finish. Um, and then there are other, you know, times when I've defended shows getting to green light mm. and been on the other side of people saying, not in a good way, I don't get it, but in I, I'm going to judge and say in a bad way, I don't get it. <laughs> um, you know, and say I don't get it. And so I've said, you know, I feel strongly. I, I love this show and I love it for this reason. And hey. By the way, I brought in 10 people who agree with me across the organization <laughs> who have, you know, like diverse backgrounds and experiences and things like that. And would you like to hear from us? Um, so it's uncomfortable, but <laughs> yeah, um, it can be very effective. So sometimes you need to kind of bring in resources. But you also saw the power of your evangelicism, right? Yes. So that that was the, the special sauce. You were like, okay, this is uncomfortable, but I can I can make things happen, which goes to Rose Catherine. How did you develop this idea of um, an ally as a friend who, who acts? I mean, what did you see for that to, if you have a specific story? Well, it's weird because first off, until two years ago, I never used the word ally or allyship. Um, I just knew who I could call that would come. Mm. Um, I'm part of an organization that's been around for about 20 years, so we just became official a couple of years ago called Color Entertainment. And it's a group of, at this point, about 400 executives and assistants and associates of color um, who work across the entertainment industry, mostly on the creative side. Um, there's some marketing and PR, a uh, couple lawyers, agents, but it's about a group of people. And we all started gathering years ago just to talk, just to be each other's mentors, basically. Peers that could vent to each other about the things that we were seeing going on back in our offices. Um, 
And one of the things we started doing a long time ago was, this was very slick, but inviting companies to sponsor our dinner. So they would be our guests, but we would get them to pay. Stars did one. Alan, what I'm telling you, Alan. <laughs> um, but the, what we were trying to do was to have people meet our group and meet our members. That Again, it's grown. It used to be like 30 or 40, 50 people. But have them meet in small settings, casual settings. It was not a panel. We, we literally did this crazy thing where people sit at the table for dinner and each course, it's a progressive dinner in a room. Each course, we get the executives up and move them to a new table so they get to meet five or six other people. Um, and we do that a couple times. It's insane, it's a lot of fun. But what we were trying to do was to make people understand we're just people too. We have kids, our cars break down, <laughs> you know, there's all sorts of stuff. And so a lot of times the conversation was a little bit about, not about diversity, some about entertainment, but mostly just us wanting people to get to know who we are. Mm. Because we understand that lots of hires in this business come from familiarity. Yeah. And it's not everyone's fault that they don't know 100 black, brown, and yellow people. So um, this was our way of kind of saying, hey, we're here. We're all over the industry. Sit and talk to us, and you'll find that we don't bite and that we're smart and we're creative. And listen, your, your, your executive producers know us, but maybe you haven't met us. Um, and so that's something we did. But one of the things that's important to us is now we have our 501c3, so we can officially take money, and which is great. Um, again, stars, very helpful. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but part of what we ask is you, just, you cannot just send money. Yeah. So stars is in a partnership with us. They hosted our uh, women's event, a women's brunch. It was, we had to do it by Zoom because of COVID. And they sent their then president to speak in a sort of a, a fireside chat with the ladies in our organization. So it's not enough to send money. It goes back to the action yeah. part of this. Um, so that's, that's always going to be important to me. And, and I think just in the last two years, I've sort of put the thing together to realize that there are two halves of it that yeah. make a difference. That concludes this episode of the Scholars and Storytellers podcast. A very special thank you to our moderator, Dr. Mitha Al-Hassan, and our panelists, Allison Hoffman, Rose Catherine Pinckney, Glenn Mazera, and Sasha Palladino. This is our first in a series of three podcast episodes with recaps from conversations from the Scholars and Storytellers Summit. Stay tuned for the release of the next episode in January 2022. If you are interested in learning more about our work, please visit us at scholarsandstorytellers.com and follow our social media accounts by searching Scholars and Storytellers. This podcast was produced by the Center for Scholars and Storytellers with special thanks to Jim Ools for creating the intro music, the UCLA Film School, Nir Liebenthal, Annie Myers, Iris Yang, and Sophie Fulati. Goodbye for now, and thank you for listening.